0: If you would, please, allow me to pray, and you pray with me, please, as I pray for each one of these. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight in Jesus' precious name. We count it a great privilege that we are allowed to approach thy throne room through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we always know we're welcome to be there. And you said, well, we could ask what we will, and you will hear us and answer our prayers. And Father, I think about each one of these on the prayer sheet. We can't always remember all of them, but Lord, we, when they do, we ask you to bless them. We ask you to bless them daily. Those that's very ill, we pray for Chuck and his family, Miss Orndorf, and, and those Lord that's got the COVID right now. We praise Lord, that you would lift them up quickly. We pray for Susan. We pray for uh, Brother Heidel's little grandbaby and. And, Lord, there's just so many that just need your special attention right now. But all of us need your hand upon us daily. And I ask you, dear God, that you'll bless each one on the prayer sheet. We pray for our missionaries. And dear God, each one of those, we ask you to give their, their whatever they need there on the field to serve you. We do pray for the president. We pray for those all that lead over us, Lord. And we ask You, dear God, that You would change things that go the way that You would have them to go, no matter what it is, because we have learned that Your way is best. And we ask You, dear God, to bless our country. Now we ask You to bless us here tonight as we study Thy Word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would ask You again to keep my wife in prayer uh, with her pain and Situation. Her leg is still bothering her real bad, but just uh, just keep her in prayer, if you would please. I appreciate her being able to be here tonight. If you would please, turn to Romans chapter four. One of the most important chapters in the Bible on this matter of salvation of the soul and how it's done. Uh, I love the way the Word of God makes it simple. If you'll read it and study it, if God gives you a doctrinal truth, uh, somewhere in the Bible, if you'll keep reading, He'll explain it to you. He'll make it clear. That's the reason it's, it's always important when you're reading something and you come to something. I'll reread the verse, for instance, and, and I, it's, it's like someone bring my attention to that particular verse, but don't stop reading I'll follow it on through, read what's before it and what's after it, and it explain it to you. But in chapter 4, it's one of those great chapters on the Bible, by salvation alone. And I express that word alone as hard as I can tonight, by faith alone. All our soul, all our salvation of the soul is by faith alone. Now, many people claim to believe in salvation by faith, but not by salvation by faith alone. The word alone is what separates the Catholics from Baptist believers. And all others, this contrary to the word of God, the word alone is what separates them. They believe in, for instance, the Catholics believe in salvation by faith, but not by faith alone. They believe in the value of the blood of Christ, but not in the value of Christ's blood alone. They believe in the authority of the Scriptures, but not in the authority of Scriptures alone. Now, here in Romans, Paul is going to demonstrate that salvation is by faith alone apart from any work or merit of man. Now, I've had people many times come up to me and ask me, Preacher, can you explain to me what denomination is right? Uh, if you go up and down the road, you see all kinds of churches on every corner, Baptist, Methodist, Church of God, the Catholic, and you go on and on naming them these buildings. They call them churches all over the place, and everybody wants to know which one is right. Well, the way you know that which one is right is salvation taught by faith alone. Now, and so Romans chapter 4 illustrates that and explains it to us. First of all, there's the question of trying for salvation. Now Romans chapter 4. What shall we say then? That Abraham our father, as pertaineth to the flesh, has found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also described the blessed of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord would not impute sin. Now, I, I don't want to read the whole chapter because it, it's quite lengthy, but I want to get into it if I can. Here's a question now of trying for salvation. Have you ever heard somebody, you talk to them about uh, their salvation, they say, well, I'm doing the best I can. What they're saying is, I'm trying. Well, before dealing with the matter of faith alone of salvation, Paul... Uh, deals with the whole question of works as the means of salvation. Uh, First, he shows how unscriptural such an idea is by pointing to two biblical characters, Abraham and David. He also points out the uh, fallacy of depending on one's own righteousness and religiousness. So, people who depend on their own righteousness are given to verse 1 through 8. Many believe man has some spark of goodness in them which needs only to be fanned into a flame. Now to refute this, Paul brings their attention to Abraham, the greatest of all the patriots and one of the chiefest of the Old Testament saints. And he does this by showing no human being may be exalted in this matter of salvation. In other words, I I always put it this way. When you get to heaven, there's nobody, I don't care who you are, can be able to say, I deserve to be here. No, you don't. Only by God's grace are you going to get there. Now, so, he points to David. First of all, he points to Abraham. And he shows this matter of salvation by, you can't exalt yourself to get there. He points to David the greatest of the kings and one of the chiefest of the Old Testament sinners, so show that no human being needs to be excluded. In other words, here's somebody that's great; they've done great things, and everybody looks to them. And say, if anybody deserves to go to heaven, and they mention somebody, their mama, their daddy, or some a preacher or something, they say, if anybody deserves to go to heaven, they do because of what they've done, what they are. And he turns to Abraham and says, no, he don't. And then he turns to King David, and he say, then he's dealing with these people. that says, oh, I've done such sins and such terrible things that I can't possibly go to heaven. And he uses David as an example of that. Now, I want to show you how it works. First of all, let's look at the case of Abraham. Number one, he was the founder of the Hebrew racial family. verses 1 through 5. Now, if ever a man was to be looked up to by man, it was Abraham. Verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh? Now you need to underline that. As pertaining to the flesh. As found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he had whereof to glory, but not before God. In other words, If I was to meet Abraham on the street today, I'd look at him and say, Man, that's a great guy. He was one of the richest men in the Bible. Not only that, but he was a good man. And uh, you look at him and say, If any man had a right to glory in his works or his position as being a godly man, Abraham would do that to another man. If I'm looking at you, that's you looking at me. That's man on man. But not before God. He might go, I, you, you meet some good people in this world. I know a lot of good people. And you look at them and say, anybody deserve deserves to heaven look like they would uh, because of their work. But then God turns right around and says, but that don't count before God. Now, notice he uses him first. And Abraham has whereof to glory, that is, before man, but not before God. Then, be why? Because God's standards are higher than man's. That's the reason it's never good to compare yourself to somebody else. If you look around, you can always find somebody that's a little bit better than you are, you think. Or you can find somebody that's a little bit bit worse than you are, you think. But, Abraham did not trust in his own marriage. Now notice what the Bible says. When God called Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees, Abraham was a pagan idolater. He worshipped idols. Imperfection characterizes all man's works, whether moral, spiritual, or physical. Perfection characterizes all the works of God. For example, examine one's works of man very carefully, and you'll always find flaws in them. I don't care who you are. If you follow them around all day long, you're going to have a flaw in them. You'll see it. You can notice there's a flaw in them. But you examine the finished work of Christ, and you'll find more beauties the more you examine Him. I found this over here. I've been preaching Christ all these years and talking about Him and studying about Him, and I love Him more every day. Why? Because it gets better every day. But you take any other human being on the face of this earth and you can go back to the first time you met them and you think, Boy, they were good. And you can find flaws in their life always. But not the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore Abraham, no matter how good, had nothing to boast of before God. Now verse 3. For what saith the Scriptures? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, Abraham, no matter how good he was, needed a Savior. If imperfection marks salvation by works, imputation characterizes salvation by faith. The word impute or count occurs 11 times in this chapter. God keeps books. In God's system of bookkeeping, He shows sin being transferred from from our account. And righteousness being transferred to our account. Now, notice the two words here I'm talking about from to. God takes on his bookkeeping, he transfers from our account, and uh, and righteousness, he transfers all our bad works, and he transfers them over on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he takes God's righteousness and transfers them over onto our account. That's what the word impute means. And Abraham did the only thing a person can do without doing anything. He believed God. In Genesis 15, verse 6. Now go to Galatians for a minute. Galatians chapter 4, and i am begin to read verse 13. <clears throat> Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For his written curses, everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentile through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak as a man or men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed, where the promise is made, he saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was for confirmed before God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul; that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. In other words, You you can put it in this sense: the Old Testament was saved by the promise of the Messiah to come. They looked forward to Jesus come. That's the promise of the future. We accept Christ by faith, looking backward to the cross as a promise that Jesus did come. It's like somebody said, "Well, you never seen Jesus. How do you know he's real?" Well, by the Scriptures. And how did the Bible say that Abraham believed? By the Scriptures. Now notice again, uh, verse 3, for well, what saith the Scriptures? Abraham believed God, and it was counted in prices. So, uh, when it comes to this matter of belief, uh, Abraham is our example. Galatians 3.16 makes it clear that Abraham believed in what God had to say concerning the promised seed was not Isaac, but a belief in Christ. Now Romans chapter 4, look at verse 4 and 5. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justify the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Under a system of works, everything depends on the sinner. Under grace, everything depends depends on the Savior. Under a system of works, God gives a fair trial. But under grace, God gives a free pardon. Now note the words, verse 5, Him that justifies ungodly. That's God. God's justification is to be individual uh, as a sinner, not a saint. Now the saved sinner groweth in grace and in the knowledge of God, as a saint uh, does not increase God's justification, nor does his failure decrease it. In other words, if I get saved by God's grace, as I grow in grace, that doesn't decrease God's justification, nor does it increase it. But to obtain a pardon and to sue for mercy in a court, a person must first plead guilty. And the man who pleads not guilty can only hope for a fair trial. And God is always fair. And the man who pleads guilty can only hope for mercy. That's why I say, and I mean this from my heart, you don't go to the the altar of God and say, Oh, Lord God, uh, I'm innocent. Give me a fair trial. No, sir, brother. I go to God and I say, I'm guilty. Give me a pardon. And that's what makes the difference. God does not take a sinner to heaven because He deserves it. God only takes sinners to heaven because of His grace. Now, uh, to explain that, Paul deals again with the case of David. Now, beginning in verse 6, Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now, somebody asks, why did God use David here in this case? And the case of David is far different that from Abraham. Abraham was a good man. And you have to look hard to find fault with Abraham. But not so with David. In Romans chapter 4, verse 7-8, Paul quotes from Psalms 32 which was written by David after the public exposure of his secret sins with Bathsheba in Second Samuel chapter 11 and 12. Now, David had coveted that sin. He committed adultery, that sin. He murdered, you know what he done? He broke three of the Ten Commandments. His adultery with Bathsheba, and his camouflage murder of Uriah carried the death penalty by the Mosaic law. So there's no hope for him. He was under the death penalty. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament made no provision for willful sin. That's why David cried out, don't you listen to this. Let's go back to Psalms now for a minute. Just a few minutes, please. And I want to read some out of Psalms. Let's go to Psalms 32 for a minute. Now, remember this is David writing under the Holy Spirit, this Psalms 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. This is after he had committed all these sins now. And David is coming before God. And he said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no God. When I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer cedar. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, mine iniquity have I hid, I have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Now, all of this. If you read all of chapter 32 of Psalms, you'll understand some. David came as it was and fell before God and said, I'm guilty, O Lord. And David said, God imputed his righteousness over on him and took his sin and put them on Christ. If you'll notice that word in verse 2. Blessed is the man into whom the Lord imputeth uh, not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. Now, notice also that sin is covered. David's sin is covered. How is it covered? You? And here's how it works. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He shed His blood for the whole world. John 3.16 But whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, so it's only good to those that believe. And when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, He takes you and imputes you unto righteousness, and He cannot look at your sins any longer. You're under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, covered from, from your sin under the blood, and the Holy God looks through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Psalm says we've come as white as snow. Now, you can't reason that out any other way except grace and mercy. By God's grace, He cleanses us. And notice what God could do to restore his innocence. What David could do to restore his innocence. Absolutely nothing. He couldn't do it. Now, beginning in chapter 5, which we'll do next week, I want to cover. Here's one of the most blessed chapters when it comes to being a Christian by faith. Here we learn why God chose Abraham. And then Abraham chose Israel. And then in verse 21 of uh, chapter 5, he will turn real real quick, Romans chapter 5 in verse 1. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how is any man justified? Or just as though you didn't do it. Just as though you're pure. Just as though you never sin. Therefore, why? Because of chapter 4. You go back and read all chapter 4. That word therefore means go back and study. Who was dealt, look at verse 25 of chapter 4. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. you got to remember something. Jesus did not die upon that cross for His own sins. He's perfect. There's no sin in Him. He was not found guilty. Why did He die? For you and I. Jesus died on that cross for me. He took my sins in His body on the tree. That's what chapter 4 is about. Now, if you know that and believe that, then verse chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore because of that, being justified just as though you'd never sinned by faith. I can't do anything to be saved, but I can look back to what Jesus did for me. And I can apply what He did for me to my sins. And the Bible says, now I have peace with God. You know what a sinner does all all his life? He wrestles with this thing of guilt. He knows his guilt. And all his life he's wrestled. He don't even know what's going on. The natural man understands not the things of God. He's miserable in his sins and trespasses against God. And when he lays his head down on his pillow at night and nobody else around, he understands that I'm, I'm not right with God and he's right, he has no peace. But when you accept what Jesus did for you, He gives you peace. And perfect peace. I like what old preachers I was listening to said years ago and I, I kept it and I wrote it down, a little thing. It says, if God forgives you your sins, you've got to learn to forgive yourself. And a lot of people can't do that. You know what they do? They keep going back. They'll go back to sort and so happened to me and, and somebody did me wrong and, and this is why I do these things and they'll keep right on. They'll mull it up and they'll bring it back. The old sins. And you know what God said? If if, if God forgives your sins, they're gone. Don't go back there. Forgive yourself and go on. And, and don't dwell on those things. And that's peace. When Jesus Christ gave, forgive me of all my sins, brother, they're gone. And I like what one man, preacher came up to a fellow and said, how you doing? He said, under the circumstances. He said, what are you doing under there? And that, that is so important that a Christian understand that. We're not under circumstances. Well, the grace of God. And so don't let circumstances get you down. I've been forgiven. Amen. Stand with me, please. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to be able here to hear, be here tonight with your people. And thank you for understanding how you make it so plain if we'll study carefully your marvelous grace. Something we can't work for, something we can't earn. You give it to us. It's a gift of God. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of a God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight.